This is an adult podcast made for adults by adults. Suede continues to not know what math is. Some thoughts on laughing with satire and childhood teenage crushes. This is Valentine's special edition of Fake Film Fans. Welcome to Fake Film Fans. I'm Suede Best, the PBS kid. I'm Walter, and I'm the sparkles that glitter causes when it reflects light, which is kind of makes me a brony, right? Uh, I'm Celine, and I'm just a little queef. A queef? queef. Can I not say that on the podcast? We're professionals, Celine. No, you can't, Celine. I can't say queef? Uh, no, this is a children's podcast. I knew that this was a ploy to get me canceled. <laughs> Do I, I have to be not a queef? No, you can be a queef. No, you're just a smelly queef. You're just a stinky, stinky queef. Queefs are not stinky. You don't know that. So wait, did you practice queefing in front of your mirror for a semester? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. Wait, why did you practice queefing? I just wanted to see what that thing could do. Oh. On that note, Celine is someone I've known actually longer than Walter. I did the math. I've known Celine for 14 years, I think. That's wrong. No, because we met in third grade. No, we met in second grade. I didn't get to the school until third grade. Hey, guys, I'm included, too. I'm sorry, Walter. I'm sorry, Walter. While Walter was getting beaten by his parents for being short and having bad vision, Celine and I were at a private school, like, being weird kids who, like, live in the dirt. Yeah, they said, here, see what you can do with these crayons. Mm-hmm. Don't eat them. Exactly. I did want to ask, though, why do you need to stand in front of a mirror to practice queefing? Isn't queefing, like, audio? No, I think that's a good question. Yeah, that's a good question. I guess when I said mirror, what I meant to say was webcam. I would use my webcam to record myself. I would do half handstands and just practice queefing over and over again. And where, where can we find this footage? <laughs> I have no idea where it is. You don't have, like, a OnlyFans or, like, a, like no, a, some kind of website where we can watch these? I don't want that. Queefing? Yeah. I don't know. Queefing is pretty fucking pop. I don't, I don't, okay, now this feels, you know, I feel a little <laughs> like Smurfette. I feel like you just brought me on to replace Catherine because it's awfully convenient that this is the week she's gone. You're also not white, so you have that going for you to be on the podcast. You want the double oppressed to get the double clout. It's true. We want the cheddar. We want the oppression cheddar. <laughs> yeah. We want five stars. Give us five Venmo stars. Venmo me. Venmo Celine and give us five stars. Actually, don't ven- divest from Venmo. Why is that? Venmo is a supporter of Israel. Ooh, we don't like that. No. We hate Jews. Right, Sway, no, you so can't do that. Co- it's fine. T- Tori and I are both Jewish. We're, and you're being a coy little goy right now. You're a coy goy. For- I'm literally equally Semitic to you. We are equally of Semitic blood. Okay, Swade? I feel I feel like you're being a little coy, personally. What I do like you want me to coy? do when I talk about how much I hate Israel? I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I hate the Jews, too. You know, I can't. You can't do this. <laughs> you can't do this to me. No, if you want to get real, like, yeah, we don't support the oppression of Palestinian people on the podcast. No, we don't. We're not, we're not pro-Israel. It is Valentine's Day. Uh, and I know for a lot of Valentine's Day celebrators out there, there's a... Uh, there's the one. There's the one partner that'll never leave you, and that's uh, Your it's movies. Oh, and my hand. No, let's. You know what? Let's go there, Celine. Let's talk about jerking off. You want to do that? 
Let's talk about jerking it. Um, I've never jerked off with Walter, if that's what you're asking. That's true. That's not a group activity. It's a contest. Yeah. That's why uh, Valentine's Day is so unique, because the only day you don't jerk off with other people. It's true, you have to jerk off by yourself. Do you guys have any favorite Valentine's Day memories? I love the shoeboxes. Yeah, being a kid, getting shoeboxes. Yeah, I don't know what that is. You guys gotta explain that to me. Basically, like, you would have, like, a shoebox... Or, like, some kind of cardboard box uh, in class that you would, like, you yourself would decorate, like, in some kind of way. And then, like, everyone would go around, like, putting a valentine into everyone else's box. Like, everyone in class. And, like, everyone had to get a valentine. But, like, for the person you had a crush on, you, like, really had a crush on, you would, like, find the best one. And you'd be like, I'm going to give it to so-and-so. I'm going to put it in their box. And it was, like, you know, I mean, and then there was candy and stuff. And that was, like, the, the, the school Valentine's Day thing. Did, what what is Valentine's Day like in Hong Kong? Uh, I don't know. I've never celebrated Valentine's Day ever in my entire life, I think. In Hong Kong, at least. Because I've never actually touched a person that I might like. <laughs> <laughs> so there was this one Valentine's Day. Okay. So there was this girl that I had a crush on. And I'm not going to say her name because she later turned out to be a white supremacist. Oh, I know. That wasn't later. <laughs> okay, I lay we okay. I did not know she was a white supremacist at this point knew. in time. Well, of course you did. You're the one who has to worry, not me, little sweet, sweet, sweet white joy boy. Um, she had weird, she had weird eyes. That should have been the telltale sign. She had these buggy eyes, but she had, she was very cute. And I got her like a flower, and I like had like with a little Valentine's Day card, and like we like I flirted with her, and she always like was like oh no, and I but I still did it. And so I brought her this this Valentine's Day card with this flower. And I was like, man, you're doing so good. And I didn't think anything would happen of it. I just like figured it was like a good thing to do. And she was like, oh, thanks, Swain, you know. And later I got a Valentine's Day. There's a heart. And hastily written in the in the heart was, thank you for the flower. I will still not have sex with you. That was my most memorable Valentine. That's pretty good. So she put that letter in your locker? No, she just gave it to me. She just looked me straight in the face and gave it to me. Wow, Swain, I'm well, so cool. I just want girls to have sex with me, and then I feel bad when they don't, and I drink Dr. Pepper. <laughs> are we Are we doing this right now? Are we about to, are we about to put people saying, on blast? I don't really get the point of your story. What was the point? <laughs> the story was my heart was crushed. <laughs> dude, dude, your story is like Tori's story. Oh, no. Now I'm the podcast, Tori. Okay, Celine, tell me a Valentine's Day story, huh? The one Valentine's Day, I was in a relationship with someone, but we were long distance. And he was like, you don't care about Valentine's Day, do you? And I was like, no, we don't have to do anything. And my roommate was supposed to have a Galentine's Day with me. And that day she got back together with her ex-boyfriend. And so I sat in my room drinking unpasteurized milk alone. <laughs> That's so sad. Your life is so bad. What's unpasteurized milk? They don't boil the milk down. So it keeps its like um, medicinal properties. It's really good for you. But it's banned in a lot of states because of tuberculosis. It creates tuberculosis? If the cow has tuberculosis, you're going to get it. It's not just tuberculosis, though, right? It's like any germs that could be in the milk get boiled out when they pasture. If the cow does not have the germs, it's a not issue. Just like if you don't kiss someone with COVID, you're never going to get it. That's true. And if we didn't have... Okay, if we made sure the cows don't have tuberculosis and the people don't have COVID, it would be safe to drink whatever you want and to kiss whoever you want. Yeah, that's, true. that's a fair that's point, true. too. We should call the cows and the people. Call the cows and the people. That's true. Yeah. 
Uh, do you guys have Valentine's this year? Um, my friends, we mailed each other presents. It was very sweet. She wrote a letter where she called me hot, which is the only compliment I care about. Nice. Yeah, it's a great compliment. So you don't like being called like majestic or glamorous? Both of those feel racist yeah, to me. What about horse light? Horse lightning? Horse lightning, like you're like you've got powerful lightning horse haunches. I think horse lightning is the least racist thing someone could call me. Okay, but it's a good compliment. It's right? a pretty good compliment. I'll take horse lightning. You are my horse lightning. Can I ask you guys a question about uh, love and uh, relationships and like hot, steamy holding hands? Oh wait, I do have a story about holding hands though, which is that Celine is like big into physical affection as like a way to interact with friendship, and I I talk with my hands constantly. So there was a period in our friendship where like Celine would always be trying to hold my hand and I would finally have to like lift my hands in the air and be like, enough, I can't, uh, come on, come on, I can't do this anymore. Oh, come on. I don't you remember, remember this? this. I don't, when was it? high school? What? No, no, no. In high school, we were, uh, we, our relationship was complicated. Buddy, because <laughs> you would get me uninvited from parties or what? Yeah, because I bullied you in high school. It was complicated. I was a bully and you were the bully. It's complicated. <laughs> What's changed? I always found it weird to do something incredibly special for someone in a relationship because it haunts every single time you do something special the next time. So it's true. You do something too good, it makes all the other dates afterwards bad. You mean in the same person with the same person? Same person and different person, I feel like both are a little awkward. For the different person, it's like, is it weird that I'm doing the exact same date that I did last time? The issue is you're doing it because it's your best idea. But for the same person, it is awkward too because every single time you don't live up to that standard, it always feels like you're not putting as much effort as in the first time. So I guess I should use an example. One of my first cute things I ever did with my relationship is we were we were gonna split up in Christmas because I knew that they would be without me for like 40 days I drew a small little envelope of 40 letters and had words and Chinese words to teach them and a little bit of a note in each letter for them to open every day until we saw each other again after school opened up that took me like three hours to do and I never did anything remotely close enough to beat that and I feel like after that, every single thing else I did always looked like didn't love her enough or something like that. Are you sure that to her it looks like you didn't love her enough? No, I'm talking about my own ego. <laughs> I feel like if someone did a grand gesture for me, I wouldn't be comparing everything to the gesture. I would like the grand gesture would color the whole relationship. Like I would always be thinking, oh, they really love me. And I would remember the time they did that nice thing. No, I, I agree. I think the first time you do something to someone in a relationship that they haven't experienced before is really what colors it, right? So it's not just like, oh, I did a romantic gesture. I feel similarly about doing something like fucking up in a similar way. Like the first time you fuck up with someone in a way they have not fucked up with before, totally, totally skews the relationship. Which is why I think like the first relationship isn't always going to work, right? Because You've not experienced like, oh shit, this person got really drunk and said something really unkind to me. Or like, 
oh shit, this, you know, this person made a comment about the way I look. You know, I caught this person gazing at someone else, right? I mean, once you've been in a couple relationships, you're like, oh, I'm pretty used to this. It sucked, but it was not the worst thing on planet Earth. Okay, interesting. I mean, what you guys made it sound like is like, oh, I do one romantic gesture and then I can be forgiven for everything I do afterwards. But that's not what you're really saying either. I mean, you ha- you do have to keep it up a little bit. It depends like- on how weak your girlfriend is. <laughs> Just kidding. No, no, no. Let's explore this. What do you mean? Well, you know, I feel like if your girlfriend has really low standards, you could probably get away with doing one thing and then being terrible and maybe she'll just love you forever. But that would be that's, evil. That's actually not a bad strategy. We have to find a terrible girlfriend. Terrible in what way? Oh, low standard girlfriend. Sorry. Low that's what standard. I yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that's the dream. Honestly, low standard girls is the dream. <laughs> You guys, this can't, I'm, I'm actually going to get canceled, okay? I'm not an ally. It's true, you recommended the idea to us. What's that conservative lady who goes to, like, take back the night marches and says, like, rape isn't real? Who is that? Oh, Ivanka Trump, probably. Is it Mozart? Yeah, it's <laughs> Mozart. So I've never had a relationship at the same time that I've had expendable income. It's just like not worked out that way. So the things I've like had to do for my partners in a romantic context has always been like really squeaking by. Like I remember once for the guy I was dating for his birthday, I had barely had enough money to pay rent, but I did have enough money to steal frozen yogurt at the frozen yogurt place I worked at. Another time I bought him these like really cute socks that were like deeply, deeply, deeply discounted. And he was like, oh, these are so nice. And I was like, yeah, these are the only ones I can afford. So I, I don't know what it would be like to have a partner where you can do something romantic with money. I remember there was this girl you were into, Walt, and it was her birthday. And you wanted to buy her a digital, like a $2,000 digital camera. Yes. Wait, you're always getting on me for giving people I like weird gifts. Like a shell okay. in a box or something. That's actually pretty cool. Now, what was the weird one that I was like, Celine, this is insane. You can't give this to someone. I microwaved an Unpasteurized milk. bag. I shrunk an no, that was cool. bag in the microwave. Um, I put a shell in a film canister and I put grass, yeah, no, that was it. grass scented essential oil inside the film canister. And I said, here's a shell and a smell. And he said, hey, can I leave this at your house? I don't really want it. <laughs> so, I mean, like, on the one hand, that's a dick move. But, like, on the other hand, I kind of get it. Yeah, we, we can say it's on me, whatever, whatever. No, 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 because that's a dick move. I mean, like, you know, you if someone you care about gives you something, you should, like, probably at least pretend to care about it. So that's, like, how gift giving works. Unless you're like six and you're like, this isn't the motorcycle toy I wanted. You throw it. Not to make it about this. He also, right after rejecting the shell and the smell, he left the toilet seat up. (laughs) What's the deal with toilet seat? Go on, give us some stand up. Uh, Why do shells smell when you microwave them? Okay, a different gift Celine did was she microwaved a Takis bag and it turned out very small. That is different from the shell with the essential oils. These are separate things. I have a question about love for you guys. Do you think if you got to know anyone well enough, you could fall in love with anyone? I don't actually. My my understanding of like my own relationship to love is that there has to be some kind of like physical attraction. I will also say there are people I've gotten to know who I've liked less after I got to know them. Do you actually think like everyone in the world you could get to know and fall in love with? I don't think that, but... You know, deep down, I think, and I think lots of people think this about themselves, I think anyone who got to know me well enough could fall in love with me. 
Oh, oh that's okay. a good one. Do you guys I like think that. that about yourself too? <laughs> like, if they just saw me be cool in whatever way I'm cool. I think Celine's asking a very different question because when I'm feeling lonely and sad and listening to American football or something like that, then yeah, sometimes I feel that way. See, I don't, I don't feel that way at all because I, I, there are so many like ways in which I'm an abrasive person, right? Like the, even the most basic one, I don't, I don't like constant interaction. I need, I, I would need someone who like is willing to give me like pretty massive amounts of space. And there are, are plenty of people who in relationships, they want like a constant companion. And that's not who I am. Well, it also seems like you're realistic about yourself and people. I think in my worst moments, I'm not. I'm having either really high self-esteem or really low self-esteem. I will say it's wild. I don't get why not everyone is trying to fucking suck my dick. I'm like so goddamn attractive. I don't get that. <laughs> I'm always flabbergasted. Present it. Present it. I also think Swade just has a... Swade's worst moments are very different from normal people. So our worst moments are just loneliness. Swade's worst moments are like, oh my god, why is there a creepy little girl in my fucking corner of my room? Okay, yeah, my worst moment is like I have brain <laughs> troubles. Your worst moment is when you're exposing yourself in front of a goddamn cheesecake factory. You guys want to know yeah, something yeah. gross I did? A body thing I did? Yeah, yeah, sure, go for it. I was in the tub... And I was waiting to run the water for some reason. I didn't want to run the water yet. So I was just sitting in the tub naked. I just sat there and I peed. I'm so disappointed in this story. The story is not gross at all. <laughs> I was sitting in the tub. I was sitting in the tub. You guys, I was sitting Awful. in the tub. This is why none of us have Valentines, by the way. This is why like none of us have actual Valentines. It's like I'm unstable and seeing ghosts. And Walter's exposing himself in public and eating his ash flesh. And you're just like quietly peeing in a bathtub. Dude, I bet your roommate pees in their bathtub. I bet you guys both pee in the bathtub and you guys sit on each other's pee. I bet you've done weirder things in the bathtub, as has your roommate. I haven't done. No, no, that's not true. So I, all right. So you, you asked us about love. I'm going to ask you about periods. What is it like showering when you're on your period? Oh. This is this is what it's like. <laughs> Walter's really excited about this. He's been waiting to know. No, Walter is fascinated by any and all bodily experiences. No, because I've actually... Someone told me that if you take a bath on your period, your period floats so you can play it like Play-Doh. No. <laughs> well, you can take... You can bleep their name out of the podcast. Who told you that? Uh, Vebe on Switch. <laughs> You don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to believe that. That's like a fucking internet celebrity, you weirdo. Okay. Dude, I fucking thought that was the coolest story I've ever heard. And for one second of my life, I really wanted to get periods because I wanted to fucking play with it in my bathtub. That would be cool, but that that's not it. I think the thing is, it's like any other shower, except this is what sucks when you're rinsing yourself off. If you try to like patch, you try to pat your crotch dry you will probably get like a little bit of blood on the towel. You have to avoid drying your cooter and then you're just walking around with water cooch. How how well do you dry your balls after a shower, Walt? Because I don't really worry too much. I just like, it's like a quick dry, yeah. but it's not like... Me too. I don't really dry myself when I leave the shower. I never, I've never blown dry. Blow dry. My mom used to blow dry my hair when I was really little. It was like a thing she liked to do and I hated it. I hated how loud it was. I blow dried your hair. I know and I hated it. Oh my god, here's the next here's the next Valentine's thing you should do, Celine. You should 
blow dry Suede's hair and then gather all the hair that falls off because of the blow dry experience and then put it in a box and then microwave it and then give it to whoever you're dating. I guess now that we've talked about valentine's from a lot of different angles we should probably talk about valentine's day movie okay okay so the film i brought was uh swept away by lena wartmuller who died in december by the way so r.i.p but yeah she's the first female to ever be nominated for an academy academy award for best directing the oscars i think do you mean academy well yes academy so I was kind of doing a little research to see, like, why she's a little, like, not as talked about as, like, Chantel Ackerman or Agnes Varda. Because, you know, a female European director, I kind of think maybe it's because a lot of American feminists didn't really like her. They kind of thought some of her, like, characters are, like, a little grotesque. Do you mean, like, caricatures almost? like Caricatures, bodies too. Like, they didn't really love the way she presented female bodies and female characters. Because of that, I decided to bring her most controversial film, Swept Away. It's about a very rich woman who hires a boat, and on her boat, she bullies around all the people who work there. In particular, this one guy who works there is Sicilian, and he's a communist. She's racist. She she calls him basically from Africa. She also constantly shits on the communists. Suddenly, one day, they go out into the sea, constantly arguing, and then their ship breaks down. So they're on a little lifeboat, and their ship breaks down. And they get swept away into a, a very deserted island because she is like a rich bourgeoisie woman she doesn't really know how to do anything and he becomes the one in control and with all the power he starts telling her i have to punish you for all the shitty elitist shit you do but ends up just becoming just the same he's like a master beating her up and he he starts doing very bad sexual advances on her then once it starts getting very close to real sex he suddenly goes i'm not gonna have sex with you until you love me and for about 30 minutes after that she falls in love with him and it seems like a really good relationship kind of wanted to talk about us being like swept away in an abandoned island selena and i've talked a little bit about this about how we're both pretty good under pressure like you know if there's like an emergency situation she and i handle it pretty well but then like sitting there waiting we fall to pieces i feel like i would do okay on a deserted island until there was any downtime and then I would lose my mind. Like, if there was, like, shit to do, like, oh, we got to gather food, we got to do this, I'd be fine. But, like, as soon as it's, like, night and it's quiet and, like, the voices creep up, it would be it would be all over for me. I would need someone there who's, like, capable of, of soothing soothing the neurotic thoughts that live in my head because I don't have uh, my magic screen to do that for me, right? I don't have a screen that I can, like, put on an episode of Fringe to, like, hide from all the bad voices. I agree with you for the most part. I think my phase of denial would last very long. I think I would think it was really funny for like four days before it would hit me. If I think if I had cigarettes the entire time, I would probably be able to think it's funny. I, I, I think once I started running out of nicotine, it would be pretty rough too. Coffee too, caffeine. But I mean, caffeine is not nearly as bad. Do you guys think you would need caffeine on a deserted island? Can't you just sleep more? I mean, it's it's a physical addiction. You get a headache if you don't drink. What about you, salt water? You know, drinking it would probably energize you for a little bit. It would like super dehydrate you. 
and like you'd eventually get really sick. But before that, probably all that salt would like wake you up a little bit. Like when you like bite a bunch, eat a bunch of salt. The water of the ocean just tastes like mucus, though. Are you admitting that you've tasted mucus before? No, I'm just. Well, I, everyone's <laughs> tasted mucus. J'accuse, Celine. How much mucus we do you eat on a daily basis? We have it inside of us. Come on. Because I'm very clean and I've never done anything disgusting. I don't think I know what the taste of mucus is. So is that a compliment or a not compliment? Walter. Yeah. Can you give us? Can you give us the flavor note breakdown? You guys have when you're okay. When you're sick, you know how your mouth tastes. You know when you like snort, your booger is back into your throat and it tastes salty and thick and boogery i get the salty part actually when i used to pick my nose like really i was really really young i used to tell people like dude boogers taste like salt and all the booger picking people around me never agreed with me they were like what are you talking about no it just tastes gross and i was like no man be honest it just tastes salty and they never agreed with me i was very annoyed you're the first person who's agreed with me so actually i'm kind of uh, alleviated Wait, no, from no, no, the- no, 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 no. I'm not a booger eater, you guys. I'm just like, everyone knows what it tastes like when you're sick and your throat when you're sick. That's not the same as fucking picking, digging for gold and eating it. That's not taking it out and putting it back in. That's not the same thing. I mean, if one scientist figures out one thing and another scientist figures out the other thing and the answer's the same, they're probably doing the same experiment, right? That's literally not even true all i'm saying is i think you pick your boogers man. you guys this this is actually the level of slander that i will not accept <laughs> no wait i want you to talk about what it would be like for you to live on an island i would suck at it i hate the sun the sun sucks there's nothing worse than the sun it might be my top five least favorite thing i was thinking that like if more and more people got put on a deserted island wouldn't it be cool if uber had like uber helicopters like you could order on your uber app and then get uber helicopter to fly to your deserted island for food then it wouldn't be deserted well no no one's there that's why they need to get a helicopter to go there (laughs) (laughs) no no that makes sense you know you got to get the helicopter to go to the island to get the food it's how you make it through a deserted island, okay? If it's deserted, you can't no. get there by helicopter, by anything. But how'd they get there in the first place, there, there are islands that aren't deserted, which are just called islands. Like Hawaii? Okay, but it, how does a person get on a deserted island if no one can get to the island? You, you're on your, like, boat, and you get <laughs> dropped off by the waves at the island, and then your boat breaks, and that's it. But so you could get there by boat. But it, it's like in the middle of nowhere. No one knows where it is. But if you could get there by boat, couldn't you get there by helicopter? I feel really gaslit. I feel extremely <laughs> gaslit. I feel like you guys both know that I'm right. And you're just doing this to me. I, I think I wouldn't want it to be Uber, though. I would want it to be like Grubhub. Okay, fine. Grubhub works, too. How much money is too much for a helicopter Uber ride to a deserted island? Or uh, not Uber, uh, Grubhub. What is Grubhub ride. What is a Grubhub ride? <laughs> when the food gets to the Grubhub ride. Because the, the food has to get to the food, island. Not the people. Have you ever heard of a couch potato? <laughs> yeah. That is where that comes from. Food are lazy. They need couches to go anywhere. And helicopters. And helicopters. They always need to sit. That's why. No, that's actually true. That's why couch potato is a term. Because food is too lazy to move unless you put it on a chair. It doesn't start moving when you put But you guys have to answer my question. How much is too much money to get a Grubhub helicopter? Yeah, that is true. How do we pay for them? 
I don't know. How do we pay for Grubhub? Don't we just click the button and the and the food comes? Yeah, but not all of us have our parents' <laughs> nigh amount of infinite wealth. Some of us have to like look at our bank account and be like, I can't afford to get this food and get it delivered. I either need to drive there or get cheaper delivery. That's fair. You know what? I also realize Celine is right. There probably is no mobile data. Your cell phone probably got too wet. Thank you. And probably is not working anyways. So yeah. I think, in conclusion, I would suck at a deserted island. I actually might die on the first day. <laughs> I think the three of us would do well. No. In what way? We're all lopsided in the same direction. No, I disagree. I disagree. Because, like, I, I know my way around the woods pretty okay. You know, and Celine, you have, like, an understanding of, like, math and reality. Okay, explain how, if you guys think Ubers can't get to deserted islands, how can math get to a deserted island? Okay, let me explain. So, I have this issue when I cook. Where, like, I'll make something and I need to figure out what to put the food in, usually when I'm baking, and I can't figure out how much liquid will fit in a thing. So I'll constantly like, be pouring in and I'll have poured too much. I, I can't, like, figure out the sizes of things. I don't know how that would be useful on a deserted island, but it feels like a useful skill. I don't think that's math. Isn't that math? It's like... That's math. Figuring out the size. Volume. Volume, exactly. I have a hard time with things like volume. I feel like by the time you figured out the volume, you'd already be dead. From what? From what? What kills you on the island while you're trying to figure out volume, Walt? The sun? The sun? Bro, the sun is not that deadly. Okay, so Celine is the volume finder. How does us two help? Like I said, I feel like I could catch a fish. I feel like I could find a thing to eat. I also have, like, pretty good constitution, right? Like, I could eat the plants to figure out which is going to make you sick and be okay. You gave me one skill. You just gave yourself, like, eight skills. You didn't give yourself any skills. You didn't give me any skills. What skills do you bring? I admitted the truth. None of us have any skills. We are all born after 1990. We do not have any skills. All right, well, tell me more about this fucked up movie. Honestly, one of the most notable things about this film is that it's shot in Technicolor in the Mediterranean Sea. So I have seen some films shot in the Mediterranean Sea, but not in Technicolor. And it looks super good because colors are so saturated when uh, you use Technicolor. The sea just looks like such a unique type of blue. The bodies look really good. The cliffs look really good. There are actually like scenes where the water looks like it's like glistening. The other thing I really like is that right from the start, the film like starts in like an argument. So the rich girl is like arguing with one of her friends she invites on the boat and they're arguing about like communists. The facial expressions are so good. They look like they're literally so mad at each other. And it kind of sets up that the whole film is just going to be a lot of arguing. And they argue it in that sort of cliche Italian style, you know, a lot of hands, a lot of facial expressions, a lot of voices, a lot of crescendo and innuendo. Well, what do you mean crescendo and innuendo? Explain. Yeah, what what does that mean? You know, like a wave, crescendos, and then innuendos. Innuendo is like when you say something to mean something else. Hmm. Yeah, like, you know, like, I'd I'd really like to uh, move her stick shift. Yeah, exactly. Crescendo and accelerando? A minuendo? You're using music terms. Oh, man, decrescendo. A crescendo and decrescendo. You know how the cliche of Italian films are, right? They do that. We're going to need to do that on the island. Yeah. For the whales. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The lead actress is acted by Mariangela Mileto. She is really funny in this movie. Constantly talking the whole time. So you know how, like, 
art house films have like slow scenes because she never fucking stops talking in the movie it actually makes those slow scenes kind of like a concert so you're like watching this slow scene of the water and you just hear her yapping in the background the whole fucking time and i've never experienced yapping to be that hot and attractive and sexy do you guys like yappers I think it depends. I I need quiet sometimes, especially if I'm like trying to do something complicated. But I don't mind when someone talks to me. If, if it's nothing as important as going on, I can just yeah, I'll just be like, you know, be talking. You're like yeah, yeah, sure. You know, you're kind of like half listening. Mm-hmm. It's kind of nice sometimes. I actually think I would really like it if someone kept talking while I wasn't paying attention to them and they were just there to exist to like just keep talking as long as they weren't too offended that I wasn't listening to them. This is horrible. What you guys are saying is so horrible. So, <laughs> I feel like you were ignoring me the other day when I was on the phone talking to you about my life. I feel like you were just giving me the yeah. You guys are just saying you've never listened to anyone in your life. You're just saying you don't want to no, listen you don't have, to people. You don't have that relationship. My little brother and my dad both do this constantly where they just keep talking. And it's easy to just go, yeah, uh-huh, while you're doing something else. You know, I, for one, I listen to people when they talk to me. I listen to people when they talk sometimes, but when it's like 9 a.m. and I'm trying I'm trying to drink a cup of coffee, I don't have time to listen to my dad tell me about his childhood for the fourth time in the That's week. That's male privilege. So you're telling me that you've never... If I've ever seen ...pretended it. like you're listening just to not rock the boat. If I know that I'm not listening... I will say, sorry, I'm bad at multitasking. Can you tell me this in five Well, maybe five that's minutes? why no one talks to you. Huh? Did you say no one talks to me? Yeah. I, I actually think there's maybe a more true statement, which is that there's not usually room for anyone interacting with you to yammer. Because usually there is a different person. Oh, oh, who would that be? Who would that be? That would be uh, you. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be fair, I was trying to be invested, but I was chatting with horny anonymous dudes online. So I was trying to listen, but I was also like trying to decide whose penis I was going to look at. I know. Walter, which is worse, watching porn or taking a shit while you're on the phone with your friend? Uh, which one's worse? In what way? Because I actually think both are pretty acceptable. I could kiss you, Walter. To be quite honest, I get annoyed when someone says, hey, I don't want to talk to you right now. I need to take a shit. I'm like, that's so fucking stupid. Just take a shit and talk to me. Sway does it to me all the time, and I've just let it go because he's just like, I can't do it. But like, you wouldn't have a problem if I was casually browsing pornography on my computer while we were having a conversation. Not cranking my hog, just kind of like looking at boobs. I mean, no, I wouldn't. But now that you're talking about it like this, I feel like because you fucking hang up on me when you take a shit i should be mad at you for doing the porn thing it's either two or none yeah two or none okay okay so if i want to look at boobs i also have to be shitting okay i i think that's fair i think that's acceptable what about you celine which ones do you get annoyed by more i don't i don't mind the pooping i do mind suede watching porn while i'm talking to him on the phone you say watching porn like i'm like watching someone get railed i'm just like casually <laughs> browsing my you know looking at boobs on the internet that is different. that is under the umbrella of watching porn no watching porn is like turning on a video looking at boobs is just that's like, a little straight talk because if i was someone who got sexually aroused from watching paint dry on the walls then technically if someone was calling me and i was just staring at a wall watching paint dry I'm watching porn. Thank you. So is that a problem then, Walt? So why do you sound like you're gonna like bust into the saloon and is that a problem then, Walt? Like, what are you saying? <laughs> I'm, I'm the cowboy of pornography. I'm the pornography cowboy. Look, Walter, I have a question about this movie. 
Do you feel like it was it was heterosexual propaganda or was it like isn't heterosexuality creepy because it makes people love each other who maybe aren't meant to love each other? I think that's an incredibly good question. I don't know how much like symbolism or meaning it there is for the actual role reversal itself. But I think the reason why they ended up falling in love with each other has way more to do with Lena Wertmuller is probably a pervert and just wants to film sex. And secondly, I think she finds genuine, like, thinks it's actually a little funny. That she can make these two characters that hate each other so much because of class issues and make them fall in love after their roles are reversed, which is ironically kind of funny, even though visually it's kind of like a little hard to watch because the film is funny. There's a lot of very funny bits in the movie. If really she's promoting that all people kind of suck, it's pretty, it could be just a uh, also a misanthrope type of film in some ways. But if you ask me, I think it's done through like, I'm just having fun and that's why I'm going to go all the way with it and see how people react. And you can say like, ugh, well, if you're going to do that, I wish you didn't use romance or violence against women in that way. And I think that was why a lot of people were found this film controversial when it came out. It's kind of like the, the opposite of the Titanic. Another movie oh, so. about class differences on a boat. Oh, it's true. But they, they go over their class difference. They manage to find love despite their class difference. Because the premise of the Titanic is that rich people can be kind. Yes. <laughs> That's me. Walter was very kind to me, and he's rich. Walter I, was maybe kind true. to me, too. Am I, That's why James Cameron should direct a movie about me. I would watch that movie in a heartbeat. Oh, I would watch the Us on a Boat movie. Way more than the Titanic. Uh, the last time I was on a boat, I had a panic attack. I think attack. when people have discussions about oppressive roles, and they don't do it without historical nuance or academic nuance, and I'm not saying everyone has to be a fucking professor of history or a professor of academia in order to talk about oppression, but in the simple daily life of this is making me mad because of something that's very oppressive, if you put that in a different environment, it can look very different. I think that's the point of the role reversal in this film. That's how I would interpret it. So it's not just a matter of role reversal. It's also like contextualizing and decontextualizing. Yes, because their roles completely change after a completely different type of context being swept away onto an island. So I have have questions. The first one, why, why did you pick this for Valentine? Because in the end, this is kind of marketed as a beautiful romance story. <laughs> okay, okay. In a really well. fucked up way. In a really fucked up way. Obviously, I don't think it is a beautiful romance story, but I think the director wanted it to look like a romance story for uh, gender role reversal stuff or oppression or power. But 100%, she wanted, at least narratively, for those two characters to be like, we're in love. That's why I think the change was so extreme. I mean, I'm a little hesitant to to make major claims because I've honestly read a lot of different reviews about the movie that seem to argue for different things. Someone says that she's not actually in love with him, that that's the only way she can survive in this abusive situation she's been put in. Some American film critic feminists were just like, this is a sexist movie and it sucks. Get this movie out of here. So outside of the like extreme manifestations of like violence against other people, how different is this from another romance film? The the original premise of like a romance is two people who don't get along learn to get along. That's and then they fall in love, right? That's like every bad rom com. Like I'm pretty sure there are some Shakespeare plays that have functioned similarly. Let him die. Let who die? 
let Shakespeare die. I mean, I'm down. I'm down. There's only one Shakespeare thing that I really like, and that's uh, Romeo and Juliet. So, like, I wonder how different this is outside of the, like, open, open abuse. I was thinking about this other movie called Overboard. It's been a hot minute since I've seen it. But the, the basic premise is that this guy, like, uh, similar socioeconomic status. He's, like, lower on the socioeconomic ladder. Uh, is like fixing a boat for this lady. Uh, he's like such a pain in the ass. And then he gets hit on the head and he has amnesia and they end up falling in love. And then he gets his memory back, but he still loves her. You could you could bring it to a similarly ugly place, right? Of like taking advantage of someone who's uh, disadvantaged in some way and like making them love you, right? The only difference is that that's like played for laughs, right? Like in, in the movie, it's like, oh, this man who's like, oh, he falls in love with her right now. And th- this is much clearer, much uglier. That's why I love uh, Celine's example of Titanic. Like- yeah, yeah, exactly. I, or I think what I'm saying is outside of the overt violence, like at, at its core, is there is it more fucked up? Not the trappings. Because the trappings are fucked up and they can't be ignored. But is this role reversal, this toxic role reversal, any more fucked up than the traditional toxic role reversal in a lot of rooms? I mean, yeah, maybe no. This one is so obvious with its who is the bad guy in this situation, role reverse this, who is the bad guy. And the hatred and the love is also on the complete polar opposite ends. So yeah, you could say it's just a very exaggerated story of your rom-coms. It's a it's a great fucking parallel. And you guys are just helping me draw more parallels to this film. So I feel less bad about being defensive. Our movies are so related. I watched Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down by Pedro Almodovar. Interestingly, the Spanish title, Atame, I'm like probably pronouncing it horribly, is just Tie Me Up. So I don't know why in English Tie Me Down got added. But Antonio Banderas plays a man named Ricky who escapes an asylum and has been dreaming of reconnecting with an erotic films actress that he once hooked up with years ago. Uh, And he kidnaps her with the idea that if she just got to know him well enough, she would fall in love with him. He says, I'm 23 years old, I'm all alone in the world, and I want to be a good husband to you and a good father to your kids. She's also a heroin addict. She also has a toothache throughout this whole movie. And so he goes to get her heroin for her toothache, And he gets beaten up for her. And then after he's beaten up, there's a switch where she falls in love with him. And she eventually starts saying like, you know, before you leave, you should tie me up because I don't know if I'll run away, but I don't want to run away because I love you, yada, yada. You know, in the end, they end up together. Is it a rom-com? Is it a thriller? Is it a fairy tale? I don't know. It got horrible reviews. Okay, when I watched it, and maybe this is like watching it as like a queer post or during Me Too Zillennial, I was like, this is a satire of what it's like to be straight and like compulsory heterosexuality. But people were really offended by this. Pedro Almodovar is gay. And I was like, you know, if a straight guy made this movie, I would be like, that's really sus. But because it was like a man who I'm like, okay, maybe it's like less likely that you've like brutalized a woman though we can't know. I was like, I kind of trust it. But then I was on his Wikipedia page and he was all like free Roman Polanski. So now I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) 
Roman Polanski, man. There is something about the European director's love of Roman Polanski that is just fucking mind-blowing. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. But because we're Americans, we can say that. No, but I think I think there's always within the creating community, the people who create art, people who would call it art rather than like entertainment, there's there's like a level of fetish, you know, like people feel similarly about T.S. Eliot and Ezra Pound, uh, like in the writing community. And both of them were, you know, fascists. Uh, and I, you know, I, I love him, too. Charles Bukowski, you know, but, you know, not a great human. I think the thing that's different is the posing to like Louis saw being funny after he got me too, because part of his whole bit was that he was like a Ophi non-threatening guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like if Pedro Almodovar's is like gender bending, you know, looking at sexual violence in like a self-aware and ironic way if he's also vouching for a pedophile it's kind of hard to take that in good faith that's that's very fair though i did i did really like the movie before i knew about this whole roman polanski thing one of the things that's interesting to me i struggle with this question which is like in a in a political and social conversation it's important that we don't necessarily always separate the art from the artist right alan ginsburg is a good example because he was a member of nambla which is a pro-pedophile organization and talking about Allen Ginsberg's work is sometimes hard not to include that right I mentioned T.S. Eliot I mentioned Ezra Pound but on a personal level I really like Kaddish by Allen Ginsberg and so I'm not going to like talk about how great Allen Ginsberg is all the time my, my question is can you enjoy something on a personal level and still condemn it on a political level do you think you can enjoy this movie on a personal level and not be I don't know, cross the picket line. I did enjoy it. I think it's like a feeling. So it's kind of hard to make a decision around the feel like I just did enjoy it. But whether or not it's crossing the picket line, and it depends, it's not as bad as like me saying like Rosemary's Baby is my favorite movie. But see, you know, that's that's worth mentioning because you you and I have both seen that movie and we both enjoyed watching I it. I love that movie. Well, but now I actually feel like I can't say that anymore. Like I have to fight how so, I feel right. about that movie. So that that is, I, I think, the question I I'm, I grapple with. That's the question I grapple with. Can you is it enjoy worth something? My enjoyment of it, yeah. Yeah, L. Ron Hubbard's another example. I like L. Ron Hubbard's sci-fi that he writes, but he's a bad man. I mean, he's dead now, but he was a bad man when he was alive. Um, I think it's always worth it to challenge the things we love. Do you, but why are you trying to challenge yourself personally? Like, is it for personal growth or is it for some like higher concept of justice? <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> I, well, so here's the difference: like challenging myself to take umbrage with Rosemary's Baby on a personal level. Like I could, I could argue that, like you know, a lot of the things I like about it are are maybe coming from like a really dark place, and the same place that Roman Polanski was capable of committing the acts he did are also so similar dark places in the film, right? Like that. That's a conversation, right? Exploring my own dark relationship with the world in relationship to Roman Polanski's actions and the film he created. The, the sense of justice, on the other hand, would be like, I think Roman Polanski is a bad person, so I'm going to not enjoy this because it would be bad to enjoy this. Right. Like, that's the, the difference that I'm wondering about. I think like a third route is looking in the thing for the fucked upness. Do you know what I mean? Like, after we all like found out Juno Diaz beat up women, like reading his books was a lot different. I think, you know, challenging, stopping, enjoying it. All of that aside, the responsibility is to recontextualize it, knowing what you know. When I, I think that's fair. I mean, I that Ryu Kenshin is a, a manga that I wholeheartedly enjoyed, and then it came out that the author had some child pornography on his computer, uh, and reading it doesn't 
feel the same way. Out like you know, I so for instance, I I can still watch Rosemary's Baby and enjoy it, but I can't read Ryu Kenshin and enjoy it. I don't know. There's something about the the relationship between you know that and so so I get what you're saying. Like it's it's hard not to recontextualize it. We gotta recontextualize it. But I also think um you know I mean this is so corny, but when people talk about the work, part of why this question is so hard to answer is because it's like, you know, it's like 0.001% of the work. Like the real work is making sure kids we know are safe. Can you just explain what you mean by the work for some people who aren't? All right. Yeah. I don't don't know. Okay. The work like doesn't have any, right. People are like, Oh, you're trying to be a good person. You're doing the work. You know, if we're going to do the work of stopping the pedophiles, which is what I think this conversation is about. Right. Yeah, if we're talking about Polanski. Yeah, should we boycott the free Polanski director? That is a very small question in relation to the work. The real work is like, should I report my coworker who's hugging kids too much? I think that's the problem with academics, right? Is like academics wants you so much to focus on like the day-to-day nitty-gritty. Like, like for example, there were so many people who were angry about American Dirt getting so much press. It's a white lady wrote a book about the Latin American experience. And it, I mean, it's not a great book, but, but people were very angry and felt it was like inauthentic and like taking advantage of another cult, like, like taking someone else's story. Right. And I would have customers come to the bookstore and talk about this. And these are like the same people who like, won't look at the homeless people on the street and like, we'll turn, we'll, tur- we'll turn a blind eye when like someone's getting screamed at at a bar. On the one hand, I, I don't think they're wrong. I think it's like calling this book like a, a magnum opus is like maybe not a great thing. And there's like some stuff that needs to be interrogated. But there's also like stuff that needs to exactly the work needs to be done close to home. You can't you can't spend all your time canceling people on Twitter. I agree. And that's when, not to say people shouldn't be canceled on Twitter or that American Dirt no, is fucked not. up. And it being fucked up is related like, it's all related. You know, the reason that book no, is yeah, able yeah, to yeah. get the publicity is the same reason people are able to pretend like homeless people don't exist. But if people are going to push themselves not to like that book, you can also push yourself to give someone a dollar. Kind of sometimes I feel like it should just be cancel everything. I will say I struggle with this in particular because the kind of the way I've been taught to interact with media is like from the death of the author tradition, right? Like you don't think about any context besides the text that comes from. And like that challenged me a lot. And I was, I was lucky that there were a lot of people who I got to know who like either through example or conversation explained to me by that was not the only way to look at media, but I still sometimes struggle with it, especially with comic books. There's a, there was a really, really fun fantasy comic book that was like super popular. And then it came out that the author has said some really caustic things about the rape of Nanking and like was like vehemently anti-Chinese in a way that was like Japanese supremacy stuff that so many people were like so willing to ignore it right and I I still read a good portion of it before I finally was like this is this is too much because it starts to bleed in but I, I think it is a difficult space it is difficult does it serve getting shit done to talk about how difficult it is or is it better if we pretend like it's not difficult and just act staunchly for real life yeah fucking there's no reason to like like i don't i don't try to get kids to read copies of lolita at the bookstore not kids like teen. i i i i feel differently about that book than i think a lot of other people do i actually think it's i think it's more complicated i don't think it's like a caustic book necessarily but i'm in the political minority and a lot of people i care about disagree with that statement and you know they they may be right so i i don't go around like in my day-to-day life trying to explain to people why they should why they should read Lolita but I do love that book. You want to know why I think it's important not important but you want to know why I think it's 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 worth thinking about whether or not it's difficult is because it says something about who you are. 
and you don't need to tell other people that it's difficult, but exploring why it's difficult is important to trying to figure out the way you do things. I think that's true. I think this is why perhaps it is a conversation between friends. Yeah. And then should it also be a pop media conversation? Because we're doing both at the same time. We're having like a public conversation between friends. But do people uh, do people even listen to this podcast? <laughs> I mean, I know a few people who listen to this podcast. We get thirty. We get thirty listeners on average. My little brother's <laughs> partner thinks it's great. Hi, little brother's partner. You're not Lolita at all. Walter, what did you just say? I love that you brought it up though, because if people have like talked to me about movies, they know I'm not always the biggest Pedro fan. I've always found his use of queer characters a little awkward and i'm straight tur than he is but there's this film he made called all about my, uh, my mother i just remember coming out of that movie being like what is this okay it feels really weird and then like talking to people who are closer to that circle and they're like yeah it's ironic it's satirical and i'm not there to like tell them they're wrong I'm that's just- true and i think there is a point like like the irony in tie me up, tie me down is so ironic that I didn't like learn anything I didn't already know. Like it was a little slapstick. And I like walked away feeling like shocked and like, wow, straight people are crazy, but not super moved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying because it's so ironic and so funny. It's almost like I can't watch this unless I'm constantly laughing with you because we're having fun together because it's a joke. Are you saying that the only way you can laugh in this movie is if the author thinks that it's a joke in the same way you guys do? I hope he does. I do want to say the scene that was the funniest was um he's like about to leave the house and she's tied up with tape over her mouth and then he turns around, rips the tape off, and then they kiss passionately. See, that sounds hilarious. And I think that's <laughs> one of the hard things, right? Like, like trying to explain the premise of these films sounds fucked up. I, you know, Tokyo Gore Police is another example. There's like a, a woman who gets like a wound uh, in her vagina and it turns into a giant alligator mouth and she starts killing people with the alligator mouth. I'm pretty sure that's Tokyo Gore Police. And like talking about that sounds pretty fucked up. But within the context of the movie, it's like actually a really funny moment. Okay, obviously this movie is funny. Like besides that, that that sex scene in Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down is fucking hilarious because he's covered in all these brutalized scars and they're both like having passionate sex and she's like poking his scars while she's grabbing him. But the difference between the conversation you were having and like what I meant by Pedro, and I do believe Pedro is laughing at the same thing. Don't Don't get me wrong. But just because a movie is laughing at our sexist society and I'm laughing at our sexist society doesn't mean we're actually completely laughing at the same thing still. Just because the language you use about what you're laughing at is the same type of word choice, there's still a bit of nuance and everyone is going to be laughing at different things. I'm not here to tell you that Pedro is bad or or anything like that, but I will say sometimes I get out of the Pedro film and the nuance just feels a little weird, and I don't know if I have words to explain it. That's all I can say. A good example of this, Time Me Up, Time Me Down, sounds a little similar to the movie I brought, Swept Away, in that it seems to be using very traditional rom-coms to be satirical, and that's why it's funny. Am I very committed to my film that it's like a perfect understanding of all this stuff and is laughing at the right things? No, not at all. But the difference that 
I sometimes have. So Pedro and Lena are both famous for having grotesque characters. That's like one of the things a lot of people like to write about them. They embrace grotesque characters and that should be celebrated because people are not perfect and they're grotesque. I recognize the grotesquity in Swept Away a little easier than I do in Tie Me Up and Tie Me Down. For me, less than grotesqueness, it was about like watching one-dimensional characters become multi-dimensional. The position of the actress is that she's not... We don't, like, really know about this, like, past she's had until she's kidnapped, but before she's, like, very much, like, under the thumb of her director and, like, kind of having to be just, like, this doll. Do you think Antonio Banderas' character was was in the right in this movie, Celine? In his mind, (laughs) he absolutely was. (laughs) Yeah, but what about within the moral framework of the movie? Because they fall in love in the end, right? The way he explains it to her is, we hooked up and then I was institutionalized but I got better because I was thinking of you the entire time. It it is literally a fairy tale in the sense that it is in a magical world where it's okay Okay, to kidnap people and then fall in love with them. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with suspending disbelief to be in that world. But for example, that's why I don't think children should watch this movie or incels. That's a good point too. Those are the two most dangerous and impressionable communities are incels and children. But there's other rom-coms where people get kidnapped. There's a fucking rom-com, I can't remember the title of it, where someone kidnaps uh oof, I think it's Mario Lopez. I would kidnap <laughs> Mario Lopez. Okay, the film is called Holiday in Handcuffs and Mario Lopez gets kidnapped in the in the rom-com. And he like he she like this woman like handcuffs herself. So I again, I I think this is like not all that out of the ordinary of a of a of a trope. This is just sounds like kind of brought to an extreme similarly with walter you were talking about deserted island one of the i read a lot of romance manga and some of the best romance manga like little arcs are like oh the two characters get you know who like like each other but won't admit it get trapped on an island together and like over the curse of being on the island they like fall in love and they like you know learn to express themselves but then as soon as someone comes and saves them from the island they go back to like you know, being distant from each other. But that seems like both of your movies are like taking a pretty traditional trope and making it as ugly as it can be. Yeah. I actually want to ask Celine this. You said something interesting. You said I'm down to have the suspension of belief because it's an unrealistic type of love. Is that what you were talking about? Like, so you don't believe in love at first sight? I think in Time Me Up, Time Me Down, they do kind of have love at first sight. I guess like they had met before, but she forgot. But there's a scene, like, he's, like, about to, like, strangle her, or, like, push her down or something, and they look at each other, and it's very romantic, and she's like, okay, like, if you have to, like, force me to have sex with you, go ahead, and he was like, no, I'm not gonna do that. When they, like, fall in love for real the second time, there's, like, predict that that's where it's going, and I think we're all, like, primed for this movie, but none of us are ever expecting to actually see this movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just yeah, with yeah. like other like rom-coms we've maybe seen. I don't have enough experience with romantic love at first sight, but I have 100% experienced platonic love at first sight. Like you meet someone and you know immediately you're going to be friends. Whether it's romantic or platonic love, so much of my love for other people is trust. And it takes me a very long time to build up that trust with someone. So like I have people that I, I would not say that I love, who I enjoy hanging out with a ton, who I think are like great people. But I, I would not tell them I love them because I can't trust them in the same way. 
so no, I, I don't, I, I mean, I've had lust at first sight plenty of times and I've interacted with people who, who platonically, who I'm like, yeah, I want to hang out with this dude again. This was fucking great. But like, for me, love is about time. I can't love someone until I've let them see the ugliness inside me and they accept it. What about when you meet someone, uh, when you meet someone and you immediately know they're kind of made of the same thing as you? I mean, I think some of that is just like looking out for clues, right? And that can make the trust build easier. But I, I really, I mean, there's so so much of, I think our relationships with other people is about trust and rhythm. And both of those things take time to establish. The the give and take in a conversation and in a friendship is, is it takes a while, or at least it has for me always taken a while to establish. Which is not to say that like, I can't have this rhythm and this give and take, but in a way that like, feels like I can do it without thinking about it, right? With either one of you, you know, when it, when it comes to the give and take of our emotions when we're interacting, like, I, it, it, it's automatic because, you know, we, we tr- I trust you guys. There are plenty of people who I, I, have to, I have to think about it. I have to be like, okay, now I have to do this and I don't necessarily automatically do it, but I know I'm supposed to, right? And that's like what love is to me is just automatically doing things just like because it's because you care about another person. So no, I, I've never experienced love at first sight. Uh-oh. You know, that was really beautiful, Swade. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. I mean, I'd take a bullet for either one of you. I've told you this before, and I'll tell you again. I'll take a bullet for you. And I'll tell you again, I would not. I know, because you're a fucking dick. The funny thing is, I literally, every single time Swade tells me he would take a bullet for me, I always think it's way more of a masculinity thing than a saving me thing. That's true. <laughs> so that is true. I just... <laughs> It's so mean, because I just want you to understand how much I love you. I know, but I don't get it, and I just find it kind of insulting. We love you too, Swade. We love you so much. So I tried to watch a rom-com, and I got very bored. And so instead I watched Arthur, the PBS kids TV show. And it's because I think there's like, I find the romance in rom-coms to be so foreign and so unreal to my own experiences with like love and romance that I I have a hard time with them. But Arthur is like that real shit, that fucking real, real shit. Like there's an episode of Arthur where Buster moves and Arthur is like, am I still going to be able to be friends with Buster, even though he's going to be like not near me? Like, how are we going to stay friends? Even though like the only way we can talk is on the phone. I'm just like sitting there and I'm like, yeah, me too, Arthur. How the fuck am I going to do this? This is scary. 2d more real than 3d. (laughs) It's so true though. I was, I was watching this fucking movie with Sandra Bullock and, um, whatever the fuck his name is. He was in uh, Deadpool. Ryan Reynolds, yeah. Dude, I love that movie. The Proposal? Yeah, I, I didn't get it. I was watching it, and I was like, this looks dumb. I don't understand this. Why does anyone want to spend time with Sandra Bullock in this movie? She seems like an asshole. And so then I was like, okay, let's just do Arthur, because I understand Arthur. I, re- I remember this episode vaguely, which is why I wanted to bring it. And so the basic premise of this episode, Arthur in the beginning of every episode always had like a weird little thing, like a weird little lead-in to what the episode would be. And this one is Arthur is Dreaming, and he's 18 years old, which he means he feels like an adult, which is hilarious. Because I remember watching Arthur and being like, yeah, 18, that's a grown up. And now I'm like 26 and I still don't know how to like do anything. But Arthur's 18 years old and he owns a catering company and he's got a wonderful son who he loves and he goes home to see his son. 
And then his son's like, yeah, go talk to mommy. And Arthur's like, mommy. And then it's Francine, his friend as an adult. And she's like, welcome home, honey. Give me a kiss. And then Arthur like wakes up in a cold sweat from a nightmare. And he's like, oh, fuck, man. And then it goes into the episode. And the, the premise of the episode can be summed up in like 30 seconds. It's super easy. When it rains at school, instead of having PE outside, they do square dancing at Arthur's school. Francine and Arthur are friends and they square dance well together. So they are square dancing partners. Muffy, who fucking sucks, and Binky, who also fucking sucks, neither of them are good at square dancing and they want to be partners with Arthur and Francine, but neither of them want to be partners with Muffy or Binky because they know that they suck. And so they're like, no, me and me and Francine are going to stay partners. And then Binky and Muffy are like, it's because you guys are in love. Oh, and they start giving Arthur and Francine a hard time. And Arthur gets convinced that he's that Francine is in love with Arthur and Francine gets convinced that Arthur's in love with her and they throws a wrench in their relationship. And then of course, at the end they're square dancing and they're like, you know, like, why are you always trying to dance with me? And finally they're like, I, they say at the same time, I'm not in love with you. And then they're like, really? And as they're dancing at the end, they're like, let's promise. I think the exact line is let's promise to never let a silly thing like love get in the way of our friendship again. Super basic, super simple, but it brought a few questions in my mind that I think are are, are worth asking. Uh, first of all, do you guys remember the kissing song? Yes. Did people used to do that to you? I kind of don't remember people I, being people like, did that to me oh, s- I don't even re- just like, any- was it like other dudes? Dude, they probably did it about us. <laughs> That's actually probably true. They Okay. So you know what's, this is kind of why I wanted to bring this is because it's, it's less about Arthur and more about the relationships. Uh, Cause people constantly, especially my mom are like, Oh, you and Shaleen should just date. And I'm always like, no, that's not, that's not. And I, people tell you the same thing, right? Uh, my parents don't want me to date a white. Yeah, yeah, I figured it wouldn't be your parents. But other people, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other people do. Your parents want to date Suede themselves, right, Celine? My dad definitely wants you all for himself. But so that's, uh, yeah, Walter, you know, I, I didn't know you in the same way that I knew Celine as an adolescent. So I, I was interested actually to hear about your relationship to crushing as an adolescent. Because in college, you got wicked, like more so than anyone I knew in college, you would like crush hard on people. Like it would be bad. I crushed hard. I've been a hard crusher my entire life, (laughs) which now makes me more sad that I haven't even touched the oxygen of a girl in my entire life too. So (laughs) if we're talking about adolescence, I think before adolescent in second grade, I promised a girl I would get married with her. In fourth and fifth grade, I sort of crushed really hard on a girl and she was in the library i don't know if there's anything interesting about that actually i crushed really hard on a girl because we uh traded books i I liked reading she liked reading when you're adolescent no one likes reading uh she was very tall that's sweet that's super adorable that's like wonderful oh you know what was significant about the fifth grade crush actually now i think about it my mom gave her stamp of approval she was like yeah all these other girls that your friends have crush on are ugly this girl is cute, which is pretty crazy because now I think about it, we're in fifth grade. Mom is a lesbian pedophile or something, but it's kind of a <laughs> weird thing. And then I went to a boys' school. Yeah, and that's and that's and that was when you stopped being gay, right? I mean, I there was this one time I touched someone's penis when we were like in public, which was not a good thing. But so I had a crush on this girl. Uh, I don't think Celine knew who she was. I knew who it was. You do yeah, the yeah, gymnast. Yeah. The girl who yeah, would do yeah, flips yeah. all the time? Yeah. She was like super quiet and she had long straight black hair. And I had like such a crush on her and I was so afraid to talk on talk to her. And then one day I saw her 
join your guys' team, so to speak, which is uh, she picked her nose. She was a nose picker. I'm not a nose picker. Uh, like <laughs> Please stop. Please you stop. are. It's okay. And I, I like it totally changed my framework. I was like, I, I still had a giant crush on her, but I, I, I like felt more comfortable talking to her because I was like, oh, you're a person just like me. And it was like, I don't know. It was really weird. Really good experience. But this, this leads me into my second conversation, which is my, I have a friend who told Anna that I had a crush on her and I was so mad. I was so angry and I was so hurt and I like stopped. I like, like flipped out. I like did the, I mean, not, not like really, I just like was a mad little kid. What was it about that age that that was like such a taboo to have a crush on someone? Right. Because like now the only time I wouldn't want someone to know I have a crush on them is if they like have a romantic partner and it would make things awkward. If like if if, I, if someone found out I had I thought they were cute, I would like now I'd be like yeah, it's like yeah, I do I do think you're cute. I would take you out on a date. And like the only time it becomes a problem is when that would like be inappropriate, right? Like that would be why I'm frustrated. Not like oh now she knows I have a crush on her. It's like well this is my coworker or like you know this is like what is it about that moment as an adolescent that's like so damning and so shameful I can't speak for everyone but I actually think my second grade example was a really good example of this I actually ended up kind of dating this person not like a real date right so I would never call it a real date but it was like a second grade real fucking open relationship I told her I would marry her so okay, yeah, like yeah. everyone in class knew the difference between dating someone is that everything that you do with that person becomes laughable for all the other kids. Yeah, but why? I think because it's foreign to the other kids. I remember two kids who dated in the seventh grade at a pool party. Everyone would dare them to kiss on Truth or Dare. And it was just because people wanted to see what it looked like when people kissed. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. It's taboo and it's embarrassing because it's like so outside of the frame of reference. Also, you don't even know what the point of dating is because you can't have sex yet. That's the only real reason we date, right? I mean, kind of. And and then, but did you, did you guys have the friend who like went through puberty before everyone else and was like super obsessed with sex? Yeah. And would be like, oh yeah, I totally got a blow job. And it's like, we're in fourth grade. Yeah. That was like very weird for me as, cause I was a late bloomer. It took I me forever. I was also a late like, bloomer. <laughs> I haven't bloomed yet. You haven't bloomed yet. You're still waiting to come into your own as an adult. Yeah, that's why I still pick my nose with Celine. Oh my god! Come on! Because I I also remember being so frustrated and angry when someone would do... I mean, because that's what happens in Arthur, right? Francine and Arthur are both like so mad that other people are so embarrassed that they think someone has a crush on them. And I remember that feeling too. I remember being like, oh man, don't say I have a crush on her. Don't say she has a crush on me, man. I think like, when you're oh, a kid, like, it's like the equivalent of getting called a pervert. <laughs> oh, no, I like that. I think that's really smart because like nowadays, if you're like you're attracted to someone, it's like, yeah, I am. I'm a sexual being. I have sexual feelings. But similarly, if someone's like, oh, you're attracted to this person and you're not as an adult, it feels weird. Yeah. It's like, don't say that. So I, I think I think actually you're right. It's like something like it says something about you who you're attracted to. And if you're not attracted to someone and they say you are, then it's like saying something about who you are as a person and that i mean that can get into really toxic places right being like oh man you want to have sex with that dude that's not a good way um, that's not a good way things. that's not the way no no so like that's it's not it's not a good idea to get angry when someone implies that you're attracted to another man do you guys believe francine and arthur are destined to be together yeah i do 
But I also kind of think Francine's a lesbian. Yeah, no, I actually don't think that they're destined to be together because I guarantee Francine is a lesbian and she's into Muffy. She's into Sue Ellen. Okay, so so as a child, I would always assumed that she would be into Muffy. As an adult watching this, I was like, that's going to be her like first lesbian experience is with Muffy and Muffy's just going to be experimenting and Sue Ellen and uh, Francine is going to fall in love and it's going to be really detrimental to like Francine's well-being for a little while. She's going to be like deeply in love with Muffy and Muffy's just like trying on lesbianism for a little bit. What did you do? Find this on Pornhub? <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. No, this is my Arthur <laughs> fan fiction. The reason why I brought it up though is because it's a... Uh... Despite the fact that you just went through all these words about like how kids are like very defensive about who they like and why it's so weird, that was the point of this episode. And yet, there are tons of people who think Arthur and Francine are still destined. I think they're wrong. I mean, like, I think you're just like not correct. Francine is very clearly a lesbian. On behalf of the creators of this episode, do they want people yeah. to think that Arthur and Francine is this like kind of a will they, won't they to keep viewers interested? No, I don't think so at all, because there's, like, so much catharsis when they figure out. Like, even, like, the will they, won't they in sitcoms will always, like, linger on, like, small amounts of physical contact, right? Like, if you're setting up a will they, won't they, until they will they, the, the points of physical contact are really brief. I just don't know what until they will they mean. <laughs> okay, what I'm saying is, like, the, okay, the will they, won't they is a binary option. Either they will not be together, or they will. Either they won't be or they will be. When they will be, eventually, they like can embrace in full physical contact. During the will they, won't they stasis like situation, moments of physical contact are brief. And at the end of Arthur, that episode, Francine and Arthur fully go back to the amount of physical contact re required to do square dancing, right? It, and it's it's not like this like, oh, now we are worried to touch. It's like, nah, it's just like, the you know, dancing with a buddy. In fact, I would say if you're looking at a traditional rom-com structure, the fact that Binky and Muffy have so much trouble dancing together and the fact that they're so different and from different socioeconomic classes means that they're the ones who are going to end up together. That's true. You know, like the rich girl and the dumb bully. Like, that's like, yeah, those are the people who end up together, especially the bully with the heart of gold because you find out that Binky is like a complicated individual who's like really great at playing clarinet, but like he's embarrassed about it. That's in like later in the show, in the show. What was the song they paid for the dance? Was it, it's a river of the night. <laughs> you know, what's hilarious. I've forgotten about this character. There's just like weird wizened lunch lady. Who's got like a voice like this, you know, she's kind of got like an Arkansas kind of voice. Does she, maybe she reminds me of Cherry or some conglomeration of, like, multiple teachers. Yeah, she reminds yeah, me a little bit of Cherry. It reminds me of our old art teacher. I can see that. But she's kinder. She's not a mean lady. Our art teacher was a nice lady, but she had an edge. She was kind. She was a little sassy. But I feel like the lady in Arthur is also sassy. She, she is. Um, But she she actually sings the square dance song where she's like, Swing your partner round and round, do-si-do -do to the left and the ground. And it, Have you ever been square dancing? Is that the one where you line up and move to the next partner and the next partner? Yeah, and you swing your arms together, like you link your arms and go in a circle kind of. I think I may have done it once in my life, or I watched a bunch of people do it and I stood outside. <laughs> this is after you hang out, after people are making fun of you for wanting to marry your second grade girlfriend. They just make you sit outside while they square dance. Yeah, I don't know. Crushes are so are so weird because I, I don't let my, I, it's hard for me to get a crush now. I'm like so defensive that I, I, I'm not willing to let myself get a crush. And then when it happens, I'm like ruined. 
I like getting crushes. I like getting ruined by crushes. I think both feelings are fun. There are some songs in the world that don't sound right until you are feeling absolutely gutted because someone who you're crushing on is not crushing back. So I like crushes. That is true. I Did It My Way by Frank Sinatra. Not that great a song until uh, like you've you've not been rejected purposefully, but someone has said something and you're like, oh, now I understand it's never going to happen. By saying something stupid like I love you. You know the song I really like listening when I'm getting rejected? So if someone says, you know, I'm not a huge fan of slanty eyes or Chinese people in general, the Chinese national anthem suddenly sounds very good to me. You feel proud. But what if another Chinese person rejects you, Walt? Uh, It's a fair question. I haven't found a song for that yet. In fact, I think that's why I try not to interact with Chinese people because I don't have a backup song. You don't have an emergency backup song. Everything is beautiful. Everything beautiful is far away. By Granddaddy also is a good crush song. I started a joke by the Bee Gees. You know, I started really? a joke that got the laughing. That one I think is pretty good to mope around to. Yeah, I guess I get that. How about E I E I O? E I E I O. Oh, fuck, Tom! <laughs> Follow me on Twitter, Impossible Kufta at C Anders C A N D E R S thirty one. And that's only after you follow at Fake Film Fan. Well, you know, I think I think we spent a good bit of time with each other, sort of like you know, talking about romance, talking about love. Remember, if you want to reach us, to check us out at, at Fake Film Fans or email us at fakefilmfans at gmail.com. And remember, if you're going to watch a movie, do it with the lights off.